having a good mix of functional expertise, but also a mix of internal and external talent becomes critically important to make sure that we can build those relationships and ultimately work very collaboratively with innovators on the outside to deliver value. I'm your host, Dave Knox, and this is Predicting the Turn, a show that helps business leaders meet their industry's inevitable disruption head on. Welcome to another episode of Predicting the Turn. Today, I'm joined with my long-term friend, Mark Bedora, who is one of the leaders of digital innovation at one of the largest consumer packaged goods companies in the world. Mark, welcome to the show. Dave, so great to be here. Awesome. Well, I want to dive in right to talk about the role that you have at Nestle. So your title is the Vice President and Global Head of Digital Marketing Innovation. There's a lot we can unpack there. So what what comes with that title? What exactly does that mean? It's a great question. So we have a team of about 20 individuals out in the Bay Area, and we are essentially Nestle's global digital innovation hub. And my role leading that team or co-leading that team is really in some respects to help future-proof Nestle. And I say that because we are a cross-functional team really working to understand the broader trends, macro trends from a consumer point of view, as well as technology trends. So for us, it's how can we leverage the best and brightest on the inside, coupled with the best and brightest on the outside to help drive growth and enhance consumers' lives. I love that. So you mentioned the Silicon Valley Innovation Outpost. Uh, you, you now have a team, I think, over 20 people right. that are composed of it. So why did Nestle feel it was so important to have an outpost in the Bay Area knowing you have uh, offices in a lot of other places in the globe. Yeah, so we've been at this now for about seven years. So we certainly weren't the first, and we certainly won't be the last to have teams of folks out in the Bay Area. I mean, for us, it was a pretty easy decision. Uh, Nestle being, as you said, the largest food and beverage company in the world, we were investing tens of millions of dollars in technology partnerships. And the hypothesis really was, hypothesis was, you know, can having a physical presence in Silicon Valley ultimately pay dividends for Nestle, its shareholders, and again, consumers. So for us, it was really about how can we establish ourselves in the Valley? How can we learn from the folks that are really driving real disruption, be it the entrepreneurs themselves, the venture folks that are investing in those entrepreneurs, or, or other players, other influencers? How can we learn from them? How can we contribute to them? And importantly, how can we leverage them? So on a related note, you mentioned you, you weren't the first company that did it, and you're not going to be the last. So what advice would you give to other companies that are thinking about standing up an outpost that really has that intent of engaging with an external environment? Yeah, it's a great question, Dave. I think the first thing is really understand why you're there. So what are your objectives? And also make sure that those objectives are aligned with senior management. So is it about scouting? Is it about trend spotting? Is it about ultimately starting to apply new and emerging technologies with new and emerging partners. It's really being clear about why you're there and ultimately working to build trust as a representative of the company and as a contributor to the ecosystem and ultimately being in a position to, again, contribute and drive value for them as well. And what do you think about the importance of a cross-functional team with that? Um, When you look at other corporations, sometimes it's a finance-driven, that it's the corporate VC leading that. Other times it's R&D. I think Nestle's taken a unique approach and making it very multifunctional. So what drove that choice? Yeah, listen, I think every, um, every company, every team probably comes at it from a very different way. For us, what was really important in terms of really delivering tangible impact to the company, it was really building. So our team, in the cross-functional nature of our team, allows us 
to really build and prototype entirely new services, entirely new business models even, again, working with folks outside of our four walls. We're not a technology company, but clearly technology is critically important to helping us add value today and in the future. So for us, having a technical team, a really strong technical team, as well as a really strong commercial team, people who are obsessed with the consumer, people who have their finger on the pulse of consumer insights and consumer behavior, really becomes important to be in a position to deliver those types of tangible outcomes. So earlier in your career, uh, you were part of the team that went on the ground as Nestle acquired Perino, which we forget today, that was almost a $10 billion acquisition. Biggest acquisition that Nestle, even to this day, has ever made. It's amazing. And you know, today we're seeing CPGs incre- increasingly turn to M&A. And it's sometimes very large acquisitions. Sometimes it's a bunch of smaller ones they put together. What have you learned over your career of being part of an acquisition, but also seeing acquisitions play out by others that need to be those first steps when a larger company is bringing something inside? There's a lot that can be learned. I mean, I've certainly learned a lot being part of Purina. I've certainly been involved in a number of other acquisitions, mostly trying to understand you know, uh, the culture of companies that we're acquiring and ultimately how we maintain those cultures and maintain the things that made them so special to begin with when they come into the company. I mean, I think for us, it's really about what what is the unique value of buying a company? What, what's the unique value that they bring? And clearly entrepreneurs, they're, they're entrepreneurs, they're agile, they're creative, they're fast paced. Nestle sometimes can be agile, creative, and fast-paced, oftentimes not. So for us, it's really about how do you protect what made them unique? How do you ultimately ensure that you know being part of Nestle isn't going to destroy that? And, and we can bring the many positive things about Nestle in terms of scale, in terms of scientific expertise, R&D, for example, to them. And we have a lot of good examples of that, um, whether it's Sweet Earth, the recent acquisition where we're bringing a competitor within the plant-based protein space called Awesome Burger to Life in six months' time, or vegetarian pizzas, for example. It's protect what made them unique, but ultimately bring the strengths of our company to bear to ultimately help both succeed. So you mentioned Sweet Earth, and you know, in recent years, Nestle has bought some really exciting brands, you know, Blue Bottle, Sweet Earth, et cetera. When you think about that innovation portfolio, you know, M&A is one aspect of it, but you also have investment, you have partnerships, and you even have your own R&D efforts. What do you think that mix should look like uh, for a typical CPG? Listen, I think when you're a company the size of Nestle, I mean, we're a hundred plus billion dollar company. We've got 340,000 consumers and over 2,000 brands. I don't think there's a one size fits all approach. I think you need to do all of those things, and you need to do all of those things well. Uh, so for our team, you know, our team based in San Francisco, we are very much about being on the leading edge of emerging technological uh, sort of developments and trying to figure out a way to leverage those to benefit consumers, as I mentioned, but venture plays a critical role. Um, Open innovation, if you will, plays a critical role. So each of those things needs to be focused on a clear set of objectives. It ultimately has to be about accelerating and advancing our innovation agenda and really bringing meaningful new news to our consumers and to our shareholders. And you know, when you look at all of those efforts, you know, they d- require different skill sets and requires really being tapped into a community. So how have you thought about the roles that you needed at the Outpost and Nestle needs as a whole to really be aware of what investment opportunities might be out there, what partnerships might be out there? or what companies might even be play for an acquisition. You know, this is a relationship game at the end of the day. I yep. mean, from the very beginning, we have come to understand and appreciate that 
you know, our ability to extract value is as much about our ability to deliver value. And, you know, we have to build relationships uh, based on trust, you know, whether it's within the venture community or within the startup community. And for us, it's really about hiring people or bringing people in from the company that have diverse sets of skills that maybe have a unique perspective that can help us deliver again that value back to the ecosystem. But importantly, we're also bringing in folks on the outside. So we've hired a number of founders, for example. And by having both a blend of internal and external talent, we have a healthy tension within our team too. Again, we're a big multinational Swiss company. We don't always move as quickly as we can, and we tend to have legacy realities. Um, having a good mix of functional expertise, but also with mix of internal and external talent becomes critically important to make sure that we can build those relationships and ultimately work very collaboratively with innovators on the outside to deliver value. So that relationships is something I want to double click on, because if you look at the typical Fortune 500, we've always had relationships, but it's been an agency that you know was employed by you. You had a media company that you were paying large amounts of money to. It was more procurement driven where those were vendors versus partners in relationships. How have you helped your team and your company develop that muscle memory of what relationships mean? Uh, because it is very different than what typically we're taught to do. No, it's extremely different. And it, it really means you have to be truly externally focused. And we talk about that a lot, but what does that mean? I mean, we have far too many brand teams, for example, that still only engage or mostly engage with just traditional partners. And the reality is the world is changing so quickly. Clearly, technology is a big part of that. And you know, with changing consumer behavior, I mean, we need to be really engaging with a variety of different partners or potential partners on the outside. And for us, it's really learning, you know, in the case of sort of startup-driven innovation, how can we successfully support a startup? How can we successfully engage with a startup? What have we learned that doesn't work? You know, what are the things that we need to do as an organization that do work? So a lot of it is just learning as we go, but it's about being open, being humble, accepting the fact that, you know, even though we're a big company that's been around over 150 years, we certainly don't have all the answers. And it's really seeking partners that we think we can have a good fit with. Talent is a big part of predicting the turn. And as we talk about talent, I wanted to mention one of our sponsors, Hunt Club. Imagine the power of the best marketers in the world helping you to find your next marketing leader. That's the power of Hunt Club. Hunt Club is a new category of talent company that powers the network of experts, connectors, and business leaders to help you find the best talent. Let's face it, recruiting hasn't changed with the times. Hunt Club is changing the recruiting game by leveraging technology and crowdsource referrals to find you the best people possible for your company. Stop paying job boards that don't work or recruiting firms that recycle the same active candidates. Partner with Hunt Club. So you've mentioned that you know your job, for, both for the outposts and for you personally, is to be on that kind of leading edge for emerging technology and really think about that. Now, that requires you personally to be on the leading edge of engaging with technology. So how have you thought about developing your own personal competency and making sure that you're staying ahead versus getting caught in the inertia? Yeah, listen, I'm, uh, I'm not a technologist by any extent, but I've uh, clearly learned a lot over the years. I've learned a lot from my internal colleagues, but I've certainly learned even more 
uh, at times from external folks that I've come to develop really strong relationships with, like yourself. And I think it's about having a natural curiosity. It's about, you know, reading and listening to as many different people and as many different podcasts in this case uh, as you can. And, and really, again, just keeping an open mind and also kind of imagining what might be possible. I mean, we see signals all the time. I think here it's, you know, having uh, a healthy dose of optimism, also some pessimism about what is and what can be, but, but going into conversations with an open mind and really trying to figure out um, what can we learn, what can we apply, and ultimately how can we leverage that. Yeah, that makes total sense. And you know, when you look at your career, you've had a really interesting and varied path. The constant's been Nestle that you've kind of made your career at, but you've done roles in sales, you've done roles in marketing, you've done roles leading sustainability for the company, doing an acquisition. And now, as we've been talking, you're doing the digital innovation. When you look at all of those paths, were you moving towards what interests you or were you going towards areas that you felt you needed to develop in yourself? You know, for, for me, you know, I tend to be a very curious individual and I've had a lot of opportunities over my 20 plus years at Nestle and I've been very fortunate in that regard. Um, I'm someone who really likes to build things. And in the case of the sustainability role that I have, it was an entirely new role and it was one that I was able to kind of grow into and shape. And the same thing holds true for the digital innovation role. So, you know, I was given the opportunity six and a half years ago to really create this team and help build this team out. And for me, it's um, an opportunity to learn. It's an opportunity to grow. And it's obviously an opportunity to contribute. And I think uh, the dynamic nature of this space and my past role in the sustainability space is one that there's never a dull day. And uh, for me, that's super important to stay fired up. So when you think about that varied career, you know, especially given the seat you're in today, I trust that you get a lot of calls from people within Nestle that consider themselves more entrepreneurial minded and want to go work at the Silicon Valley outpost or want those different type of roles. How do you help somebody think about their future career path of balancing doing the thing they want to do now, if it's more entrepreneurial or innovative? versus doing the things the company needs uh, to continuously grow. I mean, the good news is, you know, Nestle, like all companies, is changing and it has to change. It has to, you know, uh, be much closer to, again, what's happening outside of our four walls. And, you know, there are entrepreneurs, if you will, across our company. And it's critically important. It's critically important to survive, never mind thrive. So the good news at a company like Nestle is, you know, People across the value chain um, are being given a longer leash, if you will, to really start placing bets in new areas. They're getting the support maybe that historically they wouldn't have had. But for us, it's really how do we provide them with the learning? Like, what have we learned over the last seven years in terms of, you know, the tools, the techniques, um, again, the relationship sort of pointers that can help them in their respective parts of the company, wherever they may be in the world. So you mentioned the last seven years of Silicon Valley and having that outpost. And we've had a pretty amazing last decade of the rise of Silicon Valley, the importance in the ecosystem as a whole. How are you thinking about with Nestle of other ecosystems that you should engage in? Uh, and what's going to be the role of doing that? Yeah, it's a really important question. And for us as the largest, again, food company in the world, you know, we have to understand and appreciate, and we do, that innovation is happening everywhere. It's not just Silicon Valley. I mean, if you look at what's happening in Berlin on the food scene, Tel Aviv, of course, and areas like security, China, needless to say, um, we have to keep our finger on the pulse. That said, Silicon Valley and San Francisco proper um, is still 
in the sort of epicenter, is the epicenter of technology-driven innovation and increasingly food innovation and food tech innovation. So the fact that we've been there, the fact that we will continue to be in San Francisco is a really good thing. For us, though, it's how do you take the skills that our team has developed? How do you take the model, um, you know, the, the, the approaches, you know, lean startup practices that we've really, I think, perfected as a team, whether it's through growth hacking, design thinking, a variety of other sort of tools and techniques, how do we then bring those to other parts of the organization such that, you know, maybe it's not called the Silicon Valley Innovation Outpost, maybe down the road it'll be called the Shanghai Innovation Outpost. Those individuals can stay close to their ecosystem and can leverage those same techniques and tools to help them deliver real value. Yeah. So you mentioned things like growth hacking and other, you know, lean startup, agile, et cetera. All the buzzwords. Yeah. And if there's one thing that us as marketers tend to do is we take a concept and then we beat it down to sure. try and re- over apply it. How do you take those principles and help you know a larger company understand not the buzzword, but what's really below the surface and how they can reapply it to their business? Listen, I think it, you know, it takes a lot of um, trial and error. And, you know, we are kind of that skunk work part of the organization. In the case of growth hacking, for example, and it's still a relatively new tool for our team, never mind for teams across Nestle. So for us, it's really going deep. It's having as many different potential use cases, uh, concepts that we can build out, we can test, we can optimize, and where it makes sense, we can then move to the next phase, which is building something tangible that we put in front of consumers. But it all starts a trial and error. Um, Once we get to a point where we feel like there's really something there, that, that this should become part of the marketer's toolkit, then we have a pretty good sense for how to actually start sort of operationalizing that within our company. Yep. And so with all of these new concepts and new trends, do you think there's anything that has fundamentally changed around the concept of brand building that will never be the way it was? Listen, I think at the end of the day, um, while everything's changing, there are some things that are constant um, when it comes to brand building. I mean, at the end of the day, it's about, you know, do consumers value and trust your product? You know, uh, they're buying into your brand. They're not just buying your product from your brand. So I think for us, it's how do we continue to strengthen our brands? How do we do that beyond just products, selling products? How do we look at services? How do we look at services and solutions? Uh, But I think the constant is just, you know, what is it that's intrinsically meaningful and beneficial to consumers? And how do we continue to strengthen that over time? So if you look at where the world is headed the next few years, uh, what on the horizon has you most excited professionally? Yeah, for us and for me particularly, we've done a lot of work back to technology and emerging technology in the area of personalized nutrition. So when you consider Nestle's global footprint in the food and beverage space and you consider the technological advances that are starting to take place, um, we really believe that in the not so distant future, it's not going to be about selling food Uh, sort of a one-size-fits-all sort of food and beverage solution to anyone and everyone, it's going to be a much more tailored approach. And technology will allow us to do that. So personalized nutrition is one that I'm very excited about and our team is working very hard on. In fact, yesterday we just um, signed a deal. We just bought a company called Persona, um, which is both a scientifically and technology-driven company where we're delivering, or they're delivering, um, personalized vitamins and supplements, which is just one small step into a broader opportunity in this space. I love that. Well, Mark, it's always such a pleasure to sit down and talk to you. I think we could keep going for a long, long time. So thank you for taking the time uh, and always great to catch up. Likewise, Dave. Thanks so much. 
Thanks so much for listening. If you like the show, hit that rating and make sure to subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. And for more resources, head over to predictingtheturn.com.